Matthew 24, uh, he's in the temple, he's walking through the temple area. His disciples ask him, you know, uh, isn't this an amazing building, Jesus? Jesus says, I, I tell you the truth, I, have been, I am rejected by the Jews. They tell me that they don't want me. I have wept over this city. I have asked, you know, oh, if you only knew I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers your chicks, and now it is going to be uh, left for you to destruction. Not one of these stones is going to be left on top of another. And they said, oh, my goodness, tell me, uh, when will these things happen? And he goes through Matthew 24 and 25, the uh, Olivet Discourse, to describe what this is going to be the end time result, what's going to happen uh, in the end times. And at one point, he says in Matthew 24, they will deliver you to tribulation, they'll kill you, they, you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away, many will betray one another, many will hate one another, false prophets will arise, they will mislead many, lawlessness will be increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to the whole world, uh, and then the end will come. Therefore, key verse right here in 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then make sure that you understand. Understand that chapter, understand that verse, because that's going to mean that you, if you are uh, standing in Judea, you flee to the mountains. If you're in the house stop, go down. don't go down and get the things out of your house. It's going to be an urgent, urgent time. He references this very chapter that we're in, Jesus does. And it's the only chapter that he references in all the Old Testament in terms of the end time, because when you see what Daniel was talking about, that abomination of desolation, now understand what he's talking about. Go back and look at that chapter and understand that, because it's going to be really important for these times that are coming. And so I know it's in this, so this chapter is important for that reason. It's important because angels fought for it, uh, like we just talked about. You know, it was, it was a chapter that uh, was resisted by uh, demonic influences, the Prince of Persia, etc. Um, and you got to ask the question, why, why do we even have tribulation? Why, why is this thing, this um, period of time where we're going to go through difficult times where the church is going to have to resist and where many will fall away, why even have that? And the answer is it's going to, it's going to wake up the church. Times of trouble are going to wake up. It's going to wake up believers. It's going to wake up Israel. It's, it's going to re remind Israel uh, who, their, uh, who their, the lover of their souls is. Because remember, Jesus said, I, I, won't come, I won't drink this wine again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they won't say that until the pressure is so increased that they realize we get it now. <laughs> we understand. And they, and they welcome him back. It's going to help to form the kingdom of God, all these tri trials and tribulations. So I want to do a quick um, overview. I'll say Daniel 11 is, I mean, others have said, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not that guy. I've read others that said Daniel 11 is perhaps the most complex chapter uh, in the Bible. And I believe it. Uh, I'm going to read you a section that kind of, when I first read it, I thought, I have no idea how I'm going to go through this. And so, um, uh, but in the, in the first 35 verses of Daniel 11, the first 35, there are 135 prophecies which have been literally fulfilled. 135, the first 35 verses. And, and yet, when you go through the history, uh, the history of that period, you can you can demonstrate with truth. But it is it is complex. I mean, bottom line is, um, in, 11, in verses two through four, uh, conflicts between Egypt and um, 
and Syria, the kingdom of the south and the kingdom of the north, Egypt, kingdom of the south, Syria, the kingdom of the north. That's mostly what two, verses 2 through 4 is. Verses 5 through 20, um, oh, I mean, that, those are conflicts. So verses 2 through 4 are the rise of the Persian kings who are coming and the rise of the Greek empires that are coming after that. And then Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, um, uh, foreshadowing uh, the Antichrist is going to be the remainder of the chapter. So, so here's, what, here's what you would read um, if you read uh, chapter 11, 5 through 10. We're not going to go through this in detail, but I just want to provide you sort of a sense for the complexity. <clears throat> here's verse 5 through 10. Then the king of the south will grow strong, along with one of his princes who will gain ascendancy over him and attain dominion. His dominion will be a great dominion indeed, and after some years they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out a peaceful arrangement, but she will not retain her position of power, and nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those who brought her in, and the one who sired her, as well as, the one, as, well as he who supported her in those times. But one of the descendants of her line will arise in his place, and he will come against his their army and enter the fortress of their of the king of the north and he will deal with them and display great strength and also their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold he will take into captivity to Egypt and he on his part will refrain from attacking the king of the north for some years then the latter will enter the realm of the king of the south but he will return to his own land and his nor his sons will mobilize and assemble a multitude of great forces and one of them will keep coming and overflow and pass through that he may again wage war up to this very fortress. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, when I read that, I thought the angel fought for this message. You know, the, 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 the angel resisted, I mean, resisted the king of Persia for this message. And I am like so hopelessly confused about what is going on here. Who is this daughter? Who is? I mean, I wasn't exactly sure at the time who the king of the north was or who the king of the south was. And there's no time for us to really go through it. So what I want to do, I'm going to show you a 10-minute video. I think it's going to be worth 10 minutes for us to just look at this quick, quick video that tries to something tries to read through that section and show parallel-wise or in parallel uh, what's happening in history. If this is really uh, a topic of interest to you, and if it's a topic of interest to Bob, for instance, um, there is a there is a commentary I have, a kind of a, a write-up that takes each verse and talks about what it meant at the time historically, and and what you can expect perhaps in the future, and what various commentators have said. It's a nice summary. I uh, I just it's something like 40 pages, so I I didn't want to print it, but I would I would send it to you. Uh, if you're interested, you just send me an email and let me know, hey, I'm interested in that, that commentary. But, um, but let me show you this video, um, and let's see if hopefully that will help a little bit. Um, so, let's
king shall arise in Persia, and a force shall be far richer than all of them. I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a force shall... So if you have Daniel 11 in front of you, you, should, you can actually follow along with it, or you can just listen. It's basically reading uh, Daniel 11, I believe, from the New American Standard. Be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong with his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, and shall rule with great dominion, and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But he shall not be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the kingdom of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain, obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. 
And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time, and he, sh he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one who loved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of the fortress instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his, his hand. Edom and Moab in the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountains. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. 
But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on the on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linens, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time. And that when the shatterings of the power of the holy people come to an end of all these things will be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up there. It shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Okay, so that that was um, <laughs> that that was a that was a sprint through chapter eleven and twelve, and mostly it's it's designed to give you a, a, a few hooks maybe in your head to, to pay attention to some things coming forward, but uh, it's it's an indication of how complex a chapter is and how difficult it is to summarize. Um, uh, I want to start in Daniel 11:20 um, because we we uh, have covered in the past the images, the dreams that Daniel's had that covers the, the period of the rise of Persia, the rise of Greece, the rise of, of uh, Alexander the Great conquering that area, having it to be divided into four areas, one of which includes the area to the north. Uh, including Syria, that's a Seleucid kingdom, and one of it, which includes the uh, area to the south, that's the Ptolemy uh, kingdom, the P-T-O-L-E-M-E-Y. Um, so let me read uh, a little bit from, uh, from this text. Um, actually, I'm going to skim uh, a few verses, so it may not follow exactly with your Bible, but, but in Daniel 11.20 to around 38, actually, I'm going to go, uh, and just... Uh, covering a couple of key verses, um, 11.20, in his place, talking about the previous ruler, which uh, most people think is Antiochus III. In place of Antiochus III, a despicable person will arise. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. And the king of the south, Egypt, will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war, but he will not stand. Schemes will be devised against him, and then 
he will return, this, uh, this despicable person will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant, that's code for Israel, uh, and he will take action and will then return to his own land up in Syria. At the appointed time, verse 29, he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it is before. In other words, he's going to get his, he's going to lose. <laughs> I almost said butt kick, but you don't want to say that in the message. Uh, he's going to lose. For ships of Kitim, uh, that's ships from Rome, will come against him, and therefore he will be disheartened and he'll return, and he'll become enraged against the Holy Covenant. In other words, it's kind of like when you have a bad day at work and you come and you you come home and you kick the dog. Um, you know, he had he got he got very uh, soundly trounced in Egypt. Comes comes back comes from Egypt, passes right through Israel and kicks kicks Israel, and it's that time when when he takes action is what verse twenty verse thirty says. Uh, forces from him will arise, desiccate the sanctuary sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up, here's our phrase, the abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly towards the covenant. In other words, he's going to persuade many to abandon their faith, their Jewish faith, and follow him. Uh, but the people who know their God will display strength, and they will take action. Very key verse in terms of what we expect in terms of the end time, this great falling away, that we keep hearing about, and that, at that time there were many Jews who embraced the, uh, the Greek culture, who embraced, who said, you know, maybe it's not so good that we're actually following these Jewish practices. And so there were many who basically compromised their, their faith and they compromised their culture. Uh, but, but the people who knew their God displayed strength and took action. And that we're gonna talk about those people in just a minute. Those who had insight about the, uh, among the people gave understanding to many, that's our assignment now. Those who have insight and, and want to give insight to many, yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity, by plunder for many days. And when they fall, they'll be granted a little help and many will join them in hypocrisy. In other words, many will join uh, the, the fervent believers under false pretenses. Um, and some will have insight, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time because it is still to come uh, until the appointed time. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt himself. He will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. That's Jehovah. And he will, he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed, it will be done. And he will show no regard for the God of his fathers or for the desire of women. And he will show no regard for, um, and he will magnify himself above them all. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasure. So, so reading through the story of Daniel, um, with the land of Israel conquered by Babylon, and then by Persia, and then the Greeks, with, Roman, with the Roman occupation still to come, that's still on the horizon, predicted by Daniel. We heard about it, but that's still to come. Uh, Israel eventually becomes part of the Syrian Greek Empire after Antiochus III. Um, and uh, he was known as Antiochus the Great, uh, and he captured uh, Israel from the kingdom of I from Egypt, like we saw in the video, uh, although it was, you know, it was kind of buried. It proved to be, Antiochus III proved to be pretty good to the Jews. He let them, uh, he granted them the right to live according to their ancestral ways. 
He let them practice their religion without interference. Um, but when his son, Antiochus IV, came, the one who called himself Epiphanes, that is, the image of God. Um, you know, you remember, you heard the phrase, I have an epiphany, you know, a, a sense of the Lord speaking to me. Well, that's, he called himself, I am Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, uh, when Antiochus IV came, uh, his reign was cruel. He decided to invade Judea. He removed all their religious freedoms. Um, he ordered the second temple to be looted, so they took all the objects out of the second temple, the menorah, the, any objects of gold, etc. Services stopped. He forbade circumcision. He forbade um, the practice of uh, the uh, Sabbath. Um, he erects a temple to, uh, he, he, what he wants is for the Jewish people to embrace worship of the Greek God. So he, he erects an altar in the temple to Zeus, um, and he slaughters a pig on that altar. Uh, that's the abomination of desolation. The Jews, the righteous Jews were incensed about that. And he outlaws the practice of Judaism. Um, and so that, that sparks these, these uh, flames of Jewish rebellion. But then some of Antiochus' soldiers come uh, and they arrive one day in this Jewish uh, village of Modin. It's, it's north of Jerusalem, north and west, about 17 miles. And so it's between Tel Aviv and, and Jerusalem. So 17 miles north of Jerusalem, they, uh, the soldiers arrive there, they erect an altar, and they, and they tell the elderly Jewish priest there, whose name is Mattathias, uh, to offer sacrifice to the Greek gods. And Mattathias, uh, not only does he refuse, but he refuses in a big way. He and his five sons grab arms, and they attack these soldiers. And they kill a lot of them, most of them. And some of them escape. And so it, uh, he, um, he realizes, Mattathias does, and his sons, we, we just poked a big bear. <laughs> and so they run to the hills. And they, they are, they're hiding out in the hills. But word of that assault spreads, and like hundreds of people start to follow him. Courageous Jews start flocking to the area to join with this Mattathias up in, uh, and, and this band of insurgents. And the number grows rapidly, and his five sons, whose names were John, Simon, Judas. Judas is called Maccabeus. Maccabeus is a word for hammer. So Judas the hammer uh, is, is his third of his sons, Eleazar and Jonathan. Those are his five sons. They, they find themselves at the forefront of this, of this army, this small rebel army. And they call themselves the Maccabees. They call themselves the hammer. Um, and so, you know, they... They realize we've got no chance to survive against against the Greek army. We are we are a small band, and yet they were nevertheless we're not going to surrender. We, and so they they uh, establish kind of a, a way of of guerrilla warfare, of just doing you know small strikes, hit the supply lines, hit their small outpost troops, um, uh, hit the enemy camps. Um, and defying all odds, they quickly make a name for themselves as a force to be reckoned with. The Greeks are like perturbed by them. So they decide it's time to call, the Greeks decide, forget this, it's time to call in reinforcements uh, to help get rid of this, this troublesome rebellion. And they are, they've got tens of thousands of soldiers coming down to wipe out the, this Maccabean rebellion. And to their surprise, the Maccabeans push them back and the Maccabeans think to themselves, I think we've got God on our side. And so they go 
all the way to Jerusalem, and they pushed the, the Greek the Greek army back into Jerusalem. They entered the temple in Jerusalem, and and right at that time, um, they uh, uh, they they win this this victory, and so they uh, they fight long and hard. They conquer the uh, they reconquer the holy temple. They get rid of the Syrian Greeks. And the Syrian Greek army is now just incensed, and they're ready to just go and wipe this small band out. But right at that time, Antiochus IV dies, and and suddenly the Seleucid kingdom is in is in turmoil because they've got internal strife. They don't know exactly how to actually run their government, and the army says we've got bigger fish to fry. They leave the uh, Maccabeans alone in the temple for a time. Um, and and they, they write out a truce, a treaty between them and the Jews. They allow them to do, to perform their religious freedom. And so the Maccabees, they are like thrilled. They busy, busy themselves cleaning out the temple and taking care of things. Um, and and uh, it's defiled, it's littered with debris, the temple is. Um, and they set to work to restore the temple and they come across this small vial of oil, one vial. Uh, and it's it's certified as um, as approved by the high priest, uh, Cohen. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Gadol, the Jewish high priest. So it's kosher oil. It's only one day's supply, and there's no menorah. The the uh, Antiochus took the menorah, so they quickly fashion a menorah. They pour the oil in. They bring the menorah into the temple. They light it up, and for the first time, the light of that menorah has is shining in the temple. It's only one day's worth of supply, but the miracle, we're in Hanukkah, right? This is, this is day five of Hanukkah that the Jews, people are celebrating right now. The miracle is that, day, that oil supply lasted for eight days. And, and it took eight days for them to actually press the olives and make enough oil to have a, a consistent, approved, high priestly blessed supply of oil. And so that's, that has been the feast of dedication that we celebrate even I mean, the Jews celebrate it right now. I mean, it's the feast of celebration, the feast of dedication, is in uh, the New Testament. Jesus is walking in the in the Solomon's portico during the feast of dedication in uh, John chapter ten, um, and so it, it's celebrated even right up until now. Beautiful lights, it's, you know, children playing on the floor. They fry everything because of oil is a big deal, right? So they fry these potato pancakes uh, and they fry this this sweet uh, dessert that, um, that I can't pronounce. Um, anyway, and they play dreidels and they have uh, gold and, and uh, gelt, you know, which is a kind of reward, etc. Um, that's the story of Hanukkah and that's the story of Antiochus pushing back and there's something about that story, and there's something about the, the fact that that's in our history that is a little bit of an indication of what we can expect to see when things go south for us, when things get urgent for us. Um, but so I, I want to talk just about a little bit about what we can learn about the, uh, the Antichrist um, uh, from this passage in Daniel, because there's really no other passage that talks about the Antichrist in the Old Testament like Daniel. Um, Moses even Moses warned about this coming deceiver. In, in Deuteronomy 13, uh, verses 1 through 5, he says this, if a prophet or somebody who foretells by dreams, if, if somebody like that appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, a miracle in other words, if somebody comes and does that and that sign or that wonder takes place, you watch it and, you're, and, and it's amazing, it, it's a miracle, 
And that prophet says, let's follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. Do not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Moses is, is describing a time when somebody's going to come and they're going to have the apparent power of heaven, and yet their, their message is going to be, because I've done this, now I want you to follow a different god. And Moses is like, do not follow that man. And in fact, later he says, you must put him to death. The Lord is your God, the Lord your God, verse 5, is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. There's going to be times we read in Revelation 13 where this beast is going to be empowered by Satan and he's going to be able to do miraculous things. He's going to, he's going to actually do things that are going to astound the world such that the world is going to save. Who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? Who, who is, has anybody ever done anything like this? Has anybody had their head split open and, and recovered from it, such as like, like we saw the beast do? That is a sign, that is a wonder. And, he's going to, and, the, and the result is going to be that that beast is going to require us to worship him. Now at that point, we are falling under this instruction from Moses. Because in scripture, there's basically two broad uses of the term antichrist. There's one that talks about the spirit of Antichrist. All, all four of the uses of that term, Antichrist, because Daniel doesn't use the term, all of them are used by 1 John. 1 John, uh, he, he says, you know, um, in John, 1 John 1, 18 through 19, it's the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from, from this we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So John is referring to many antichrists who operate throughout history. And, and you know, Antiochus Epiphanes, we just heard about, the Antiochus IV, he's an example of an antichrist. Um, Nero is an example of the antichrist. Titus Vespasian, who uh, was in, influential in the uh, destruction of the temple in AD 70, is a type of antichrist. Hitler is a type of Antichrist. Excuse me. Um, so there, there's this spirit of Antichrist that rises up even in, and those are, those are the folks I just mentioned, are infamous people, but there's a spirit of Antichrist, a spirit of, of resistance to anything Jesus, uh, Jesus stands for that's present among people that have been among us. You know, that, that, and so it, it becomes a, a kind of a, a sense about them, a, a spirit of Antichrist, and something that's opposed to Jesus' way. But there is this literal man, a, a, a particular little man, literal man called the Little Horn, actually, uh, who's um, who's called the Antichrist that John also calls out in First John. And so you might say, well, no, wait a minute. Um, since there's many Antichrists through history, how are we to know that we're dealing with the true Antichrist? Um, and so. Paul uh, probably had this same sense because it, it's, it's bizarre that in, in Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians, well, when you read the book of Acts, um, you find out that Paul was in Thessalonica about three weeks. And, and I mean, it's, it's not just math. I mean, the commentators have studied this and they think he was, he was around those people for about three weeks. Brand new body of believers. He raises them up. He has to get them established in the foundations of Christianity and the foundations of the truth. He doesn't have a New Testament yet. It hasn't been written. Paul's writing it. <laughs> His spare time, he's writing the New Testament. And, um, and so he's got to get the Thessalonians, the, uh, Thessalonians to uh, be established in the faith. Um, and so in the second book of Thessalonians, Paul says, now, um, 
I, I hear that some of you are disturbed about reports that Jesus has already come. Um, and I want to let you know, uh, don't believe those reports, even if it appears to be like a letter from me or others that say that the Lord has already come, because then he lays it out in verse 2 and, two and 3 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't let anybody deceive you for that, uh, for the Lord is not going to come unless the apostasy comes first. That is, the, the great turning away, the great falling away, people, people rejecting in mass numbers belief in the Lord Jesus. That Jesus is not going to come until the great apostasy comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. There, there's the Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. And he, and he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So, so, so don't worry, Thessalonians. You didn't miss God. He hasn't come yet. He's not going to come until there's this apostasy. And until this one sets himself up, and he's going to exalt himself, and he's going to demand to be worshipped, because he's going to he's going to claim to be God. Uh, and then he says, just just astounding. He goes, don't you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling these telling you these things in three weeks. I mean, he's covering what I would consider to be uh, something that the church doesn't often talk about, but Paul found it to be very important that he covers this fact that you will that you know these things. Um, so that you will know when that man of lawlessness arrives. So, um, uh, I'll skip that part. Um, I just want to talk about two marks of the Antichrist that, that we'll know when. Uh, so I'm kind of thinking to myself, if we only had Daniel, not, not necessarily Revelation, not necessarily Thessalonians, not necessarily First John, if, and not necessarily uh, some of the teaching in the Gospels, if we only had Daniel to look at, what would we look at? What characteristics would we look at, look for uh, in the Antichrist? Uh, and there's two I want to highlight, and, and I'll just tell you what they are. One, one is he's going to be a, um, a religiously arrogant God-hater, for sure. He, he's, going to be, he's going to be vocal in his opposition to God. And the second one is he's going to be very militarily dominant. And all this is you'll, you'll see in, in chapter 11. Um, so he's going to be opposed to God. And, and so when, you, when it says the king will do according to his own will, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, speaking blasphemies against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. He will regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any god, for he will exalt himself above them all. Uh, he is going to be opposed to God. He is, he's going to be a political leader, you know, because we know that because he's that... He's a king. Uh, it says here you know, in verse 36, the king will do according to his own will. So that king will be a political leader with military power, with economic power, with religious power that will uh, be so prideful that he's going to claim to be God. He's going to speak these blasphemies, these pompous words, claiming things about himself that are shocking. I mean, you're going to listen to these things and it's going to be shocking, but he's also going to think, speak things that are great. He's going to be a very accomplished, charismatic orator. Um, by the way, Hitler was an accomplished, charismatic orator. His words can inflame people to do things they wouldn't normally otherwise do, and that's going to, that was a characteristic of Hitler and a characteristic of this Antichrist as well. Um, and that, that, by the way, that particular thought is repeated in Revelation 13 where it says this beast is given a mouth 
and he's going to speak great things and blasphemies. And he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name uh, in Revelation 13, 5. Um, he's not going to have any regard for the God of his fathers. Um, he's not going to regard any God. Uh, he's going to reject the religion of his ancestors. He's going to have this total anti-God policy, um, uh, even though he comes from, uh, it sounds like he comes from a religious background, either Greek religious, some say, uh, got to be careful, but some say that he might even be Jewish and is rejecting his Jewish background. You've got to be careful about that because, you know, you start to embrace a thought like that, people, next thing you know, there's massive anti-Semitism as though it's the Jews again they are doing that, but it's, it's just not certain. Some commentators think he, he might be. Um, but in Revelation 13, it says, as long as many as will not worship him, as many as those, as many of those who refuse to bow down and worship him, those will be killed. Um, and so that he's going to be, he's going to be a uh, an aggressively, uh, openly uh, opposed to God person. It's not going to be subtle. It's not going to be a secret. It's going to be anything but a secret because he's going to have the entire world behind him. And it's going to be clear that he uh, is resistant to the God of, uh, 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 that we worship and that, in fact, he wants to be worshipped himself. Um, he is going to demand to be worshipped, but the second point is he, he worships. He does worship something. He worships war. He, he worship, worships military power. It says, he, uh, verse 38, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God that his fathers did not know... Um, and he is going to honor that God with gold and silver, precious stones and, pre and uh, uh, pleasant things. And thus he will act against the strongest forces with a foreign God. Many commentators uh, interpret that to mean a demonic background. Bickle uh, believes that to be a demonic-empowered uh, military force. And again, when you look in Revelation, you realize that the beast that is the Antichrist is empowered by Satan himself. Foreign, foreign God in, in, in this case. Um, so he will honor a God of fortresses. That means he's going to exalt war more than the God of his fathers, and he's going to exalt war more than any kind of desire of women, even though uh, uh, there's about six different interpretations of what uh, uh, his disregard for the, for the desire of women means. We can talk about that. It's kind of fun, but it's like bizarre, several different interpretations. Um, he, uh, he is going to act, and he's going to take aggressive military action against the strongest nations, uh, and those with superpower status, he's going to aggressively come against, and he's going to be victorious. And in fact, um, oh, and he's going, to, he's going to come from a family probably not involved in the military, because he honors a God that his fathers did not know. Uh, and, and that God is this, is this God of fortresses. So he probably, one of the things we, we can pay attention to is he's probably going to come from a family that's not necessarily uh, military or militarily oriented. Uh, and he's going to be successful. Uh, he, he's going to be um, the one that everyone wants to follow, especially for three and a half years, that the king, verse 36, will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself against every god and speak monstrous things, and he will prosper. Uh, so, I mean, God says, and, and Daniel, the, the angel tells Daniel, this one that's coming is going to prosper. 
He, he's going to he's going to be successful until the indignation is finished, which God for for that which is decreed will be done. You know, over in chapter eleven, over and over and over again, it says it is appointed for this, or it is appointed for that, which is comforting because it means that there's an end point. <laughs> there is a night appointed to the day, but the daylight comes, <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, so that's that. I just want to uh, this message that um, the angel delivers is supposed to give us hope. So the question is, how does it give us hope? I mean, wh where is the hope? And one of the things it does is it lets us know that the details are known to God. I mean, the details are so precise in terms of what happened in history that most people don't think that Daniel actually wrote it. Most people think it's impossible for those details to be so accurate. Rather than being written in 500 BC, it must have been written in 160 BC after Antiochus Epiphanes because there's no way that anybody could know those details, parentheses, unless there really is a God that speaks prophecy, right? And so they, they reject the prophetic area, and they, and I mean, if you look on Wikipedia, ask when Daniel was written, it'll say 160 BC. And that's because they, they do not expect, accept the, um, the 500 BC uh, time era. But can you imagine being a Joseph Maccabee, or being one of his sons, or being somebody that just has a little bit of courage Somebody like me that just has maybe every, every Thursday or so I have a little courage or to be able to follow and to look in the book and realize, oh my gosh, there are some, everything that's happened up until now has happened and yet there's this little band of ragtag people who know their God and take action. Maybe that's us. How encouraging it would be when you're in that time. And, and it's designed to provide hope for them. And it's designed to let us know that we are on, unto something. We, we are... We are not just uh, living our lives, our 70 and then are done. We, we, uh, we are working in his purposes. Um, so then the question is, well, wait a minute. Since God, since, since the angel told Daniel all these details and they were all uh, accomplished with such precision, does that mean that God has scripted uh, all time? I mean, is it, is, are we just basically working on a script and we don't really have any any uh, influence over it? And the answer is, uh, pause, think about it. Obviously not, because in chapter 10, Daniel is reading the book, and he asks the Lord for interpretation, and the Lord dispatches an angel in response to Daniel's prayers. In other words, Daniel is, Daniel is praying, and the Lord is dispatching him in accordance with his prayers. We pray, and the Lord is responding according to our prayers. It, it, it is a delicate dance, with, with a God who can step outside of the dimension of time and look at the way things are, are happening, but it's not just scripted. Um, we, we have influence, and our prayers make a difference, and angelic forces respond, and God responds. He wants that, that prayer. That's why prayer is so, is, is so often talked about and so rarely done, because we, we exist in the, this, this relationship with God where he wants us to tell us the things that he's already told us so that he can actually do them and so that he can actually accomplish it. Um, but it also provides hope because it lets us know that the darkness is not always going to be there. Um, when you're in the darkness, it's very comforting to know that, that it's not eternal. 
Um, it's the ultimate triumph of the people of God. They will be victorious. That, that's what you get when you, when you read, when, when, when we end up uh, in the next couple of weeks reading um, Daniel 12, um, that, that you know, there, there's going to be this victory. Many of the, those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, uh, others to disgrace and contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Uh, you know that that we've got this this future ahead of us that is that is glorious. Um, so I want to conclude. We saw uh, the Chosen movie. Any of you guys see the Chosen movie yet? Um, there's a Christmas movie out called The Messenger, and it's um, two hours long, and about an hour and 15 minutes of it is various Christian bands doing music. And then there's a story uh, at the end. I thought it was going to be two hours worth of movie, uh, but it's uh, the music is good. I had I had a handkerchief with me and advice of my sister, my daughter-in-law, who said she wept through the whole thing. And, and it, it was it was moving. The, the movie, uh, I mean, the uh, story was mo was moving. Um, one of the things it's about is Mary and Joseph, their story coming into, you know, taking the trek uh, into Bethlehem, and and uh, you know it's dramatized, but but well done, like the chosen really does. Does um, you realize uh, at one part of the movie? This is a spoiler. Alert, I hope you see it. But anyway, Mary uh, uh, reflects on the message that uh, the angel gave her and her response. The what do they call it, the Magnificat. Um, her, my soul exalts in the Lord, and she she narrates this thing so that Luke can include it in his gospel as part of the story. But you realize at the time, watching her as a young woman, that she has this message from the Lord, and it's that she's going to bear the Messiah. But, but some of the details are left out. It doesn't tell her that she's going to ride a donkey from, from Nazareth all the way up to Bethlehem, all the way down to Bethlehem, actually, all the way south to Bethlehem. It, do, it doesn't say that they're going to give birth in a barn. It doesn't say that, sh that there's going to be nobody around to help in the delivery, that Joseph is, is there by himself. It, it doesn't talk about the heartache and the pain and, the, and the, the misery that they had to go through. It was hard. It was a hard thing. Um, and her whole life is going to be defined by that visitation. She, I mean, she, she, even as an old woman in this messenger thing, she's reflecting back on that thing. Her whole life, she, she doesn't. She doesn't take on an occupation necessarily. She doesn't write any books necessarily. She doesn't do anything else. Her whole life is defined by that one event. God created her for that purpose and she excelled in that purpose. She was selected by, by all others. And, and so forever she would be blessed, but, but, um, but she was specifically chosen to endure that particular hardship at, to the glory of God. And she did it and, and that's, Sometimes I, I think that's that's a lesson, at least for me and for others. That you know, we it may well be that you know, like like John the Baptist, he had one mission: announce the Savior. Then his head was cut off at, at age 32 or whatever it was, and and that was it. Age 32. That was a lifetime away from me. I don't even remember age 32. You know, and, and so our lives, you know, get to be dedicated to the Lord unto something. And, and I think that's part of what Daniel is telling us is, you know, it's all worth it. So we get to um, worship around the throne for just a, maybe 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. Um, and I'll, I'll uh, 
I'll keep on this one day. But let's let's pray. Um, Jesus, I, I just thank you.